Hey, podcast people. Tony Stark here. The show is called Re-MCU. These guys had the brilliant idea to do something no one else has. Rewatch the Marvel Cinematic Universe and talk about it. Top-notch idea, fellas. Congrats. Anyway, let's see what brilliant thoughts come from this. Take it away, boys. This is episode four of Re-MCU. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Cody, it has been an awful long time uh, since we've done an episode of this show. This is, of course, our podcast about rewatching the Marvel Cinematic Universe films and uh, seeing how they hold up. The last, mm-hmm. the last film, last uh, time we talked about uh, Iron Man two, that was about six months ago, <laughs> and uh, we finally, we finally returned to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't think there's been any additions to it since that last. Uh, podcast because that came out no uh wait i'm sorry spider-man uh far from home i don't know when that was released but there's probably uh, somewhere in there somewhere in there whatever man we're a long way from from reviewing that one again but uh we're back and we're here to talk about thor the very first appearance of chris hemsworth as thor the first uh marvel movie to not be set entirely on earth Mm mm-hmm and kind of the first big swing, I think, for Marvel. Um, because at this point, we'd only had uh, the two Iron Man films and the Incredible Hulk. So this is the first one that sort of uh, uh, brings in some fantastical elements. Uh, whether or not that's... They kind of couch it in like being alien society, but this is sort of a like confirmation that the Norse gods are real for a lot mm-hmm. of people. What? Uh, how do you feel about where where the Marvel Cinematic Universe was at this point in its existence? Well, you know, I, I think that um, they had, for lack of a better better term, played it safe up until this point. Um, and uh, you know, I think in, in particular, I think that they were sort of coming off of uh, a couple stinkers, <laughs> you know, in in uh, the Incredible Hulk and Iron Man two and. Um, I, I think that people were getting a sense that this was going to be, you know, once Iron Man and the Hulk, which are two kind of iconic characters, um, I mean, and Iron, Iron Man was sort of made iconic more so by that first movie, but, but you know, Iron Man and then the Hulk, which was an iconic character, I think Thor was one of the first chances for people to kind of um, extend a little bit beyond, you know, everything that's sort of happening, like you said, on Earth, um, but also maybe with some familiarity. I, I think, you know, comic book people are obviously familiar with Thor, but maybe not general audiences. Um, and, and it's certainly not as much as, like, Captain America, as we'll see next. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that that was an interesting point. And, and I think another reason why it was a pretty big swing was because um, I think people forget that at this point, Chris Hemsworth was a virtual unknown um, <laughs> yeah, when yeah, he was yeah. cast. I, th- I think he had only done two movies before, and one of them was his like s- tiny cameo in that first Star Trek movie, um, where he played Kirk's father. Yeah. Um, so he was basically unknown. Tom Hiddleston was basically unknown at that point. You know, your biggest star power in that movie was, uh, you know, was Natalie Portman and uh, uh, Anthony and Hopkins I, and Anthony Hopkins. But um, but yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit when we talk about cast. But yeah, so it was a it was a big swing not only because of those factors, but because your main Avenger here is uh, is a virtual unknown, which is something that I think Marvel started to play with a little bit more um, as the MCU went on. Are you, you mean like the character or the actor? The actor, 
Oh, being, okay. a, being an unknown, being a relative unknown, or kind of you know not a, a an A list person playing someone. Right. Uh, yeah, this is the first one uh, to kind of feature a character. It felt like they were scraping for mm-hmm. because they they don't you know at the time they uh, they didn't own X Men, they uh, had no rights to Spider Man. So the those deep benches, especially of something like X Men was off limits to them. So they had to dig and and found Thor, which has been a popular character for a while, but I, you know, growing up as a comic comic book fan, it was never ever anyone's first choice. Right. Um, you know, and he's kind of goofy looking in the comic books. He's got a, you know, in the comic books he has no beard and wears long hair and a helmet with wings on it and a cape. So he's kind of a ridiculous um uh looking character and he had this weird sort of Shakespearean language and he was not language, but dialect. And he was sort of almost sort of insane Mm -hmm. uh, in the comic books. And, and the fact that this was the, you know, the biggest swing uh, since Iron Man and Incredible Hulk and, you know, for better or worse, Iron Man two was, was okay. It wasn't great. Incredible Hulk was kind of a, a dud. Um, but that this film came along and, and, and introduced this world in a way that was surprisingly looking back at it, mostly comical. Yeah. I but was, in a, but in a different way that Thor is comical now. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that this was their, this was the one that they, they held, uh, that they put forward as the third take instead of something I figured would be a little more safe, like Captain America, but, mm-hmm. um, I guess it was all part of the I mean Captain America only came out several months after Thor anyway but it feels like that would have been the natural next step have been predictable to the second. Jane, you're an astrophysicist, not some storm chase. I'm telling you, there's a connection between these atmospheric disturbances and my research. Eric, I I wouldn't have asked you to fly out here if I wasn't absolutely sure. Jane? I think you want to see this. What is that? So it had been an awful long time since I had seen the film, probably since it was released in 2011. So it had been a good uh, mm-hmm. eight years since I had seen it. Same. And uh, again, thanks to the uh, the launch of Disney Plus, uh, since we started this show, it's a lot easier to watch these films. Not only that, but I was able to, when I rewatched it um, on Disney Plus, watch it in 4K, uh, oh. which was a nice... Uh, you know, they've got most of the MCU up there in 4K, which is a nice, uh, nice little touch. How does it, how do the effects hold up in a 4K? Does it still look pretty good? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And of course it's not true 4K, um, through streaming, um, but it's as close as they can get to it. But, you know, these movies were made in a time where I think special effects had kind of caught up, um, by Mm -hmm. 2011 or so. So it does look good. 
All right. What did you think of the movie? Well, you know, I, I, I the thing that I remember uh, really not liking about Thor the first time I saw it was that I think that it it, it utilizes the fish out of water um, sort of f- for everything, for every bit of humor that it has. You know, Thor being, a, a, you know, a god in a human world and, you know, uh, and I and I felt that. You know, I, I still think that it's too reliant on that kind of thing, but I guess I was less bothered by it this time around. Uh, I thought it was it was okay, decently funny. Um, I think that where it sort of struggles a little bit is is its characterizations beyond Thor, um, like Natalie Portman's character, for example. I really don't like how she is sort of like goo goo over Thor. You know, like, like <laughs> she's supposed to be this and- like she's supposed to be like an astrophysicist and is all of a sudden falls for this guy that's just some doofy beefcake. Well, yeah, and, and like and like her and, <clears throat> you know, Kat Dennings making, you know, comments or looking at his abs and stuff. Like, it just doesn't – it's it's very – it feels like an outdated concept of, of that kind of thing. Um, and, you, and you don't really understand, and I never really understood why she was falling for Thor um, from a love story angle. I just didn't think that there was much there. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I was also surprised to see how, how uh, like uncharismatic Loki was as a character, and I think that that's maybe uh, that 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 Joss Whedon was able to bring out the best in Loki, and from there on out, um, or to bring out the best in Tom Hiddleston, maybe. But I, I, but you know, for that first half of the movie, Loki is not super involved. But he is—he's just sort of kind of like looking, like he—he he doesn't have much to say, and like the quippy Loki isn't really there and and fully formed in this movie, and um, not particularly a good villain, I don't think. Um, you know, I, I just feel ahead. like I feel like his whole plot line is very confusing. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like I I I know what happens, but I don't know how it follows the logic of the film by the time it wraps up. Yeah, um, and I I think that. That's probably been a big problem with Loki, <coughs> even in the second Thor film. I remember it being sort of like, "Well, what the fuck is happening with Loki?" Yeah, and and it's and I think that maybe they can't they they never really figured him out until Avengers, and then and then I think maybe Avengers movies is when Loki gets to be um, the best version of himself. But um, you know, from from a from a visual standpoint, I've talked to you about this a bunch of times, but and I don't know if you picked up on this now that I pointed it out, but. Uh, Kenneth Branagh like utilizes the hell out of Dutch angles in this movie, mm-hmm. and it it drives me nuts. Um, <laughs> Why? I it it's just a stylistic crutch that I that I hate. Like every fucking camera angle is diagonal or cross. It, it just it just sucks. I I just really don't like it. Like I I understand it if you do it every so often, but like every other scene is shot in a Dutch angle, and uh, and I really wasn't a fan of that. Um, uh, I, I think that a lot of the um, the Asgard uh, Earth stuff, I think, looks really cool. Um, I think that they have a. I think that they established a visual, um, like the, just the whole idea of the of of Asgard in general. You know, with all of the gold that's there, and then like the Bifrost and stuff, and mm-hmm. and looking at the, the the colorizations of that. I think that it's a really cool visual thing, and like visually, the the costumes of the Asgardians is is you know I, I like that element of it, which really kind of 
does its job of transporting you to a different place. Like, you know, you know you're not on Earth. You know that you're at this different place with these different people. And and I think that a lot of the uh, the action sequences are kind of cool. I, I, I really like the um, the whole sequence with the Destroyer um, that yeah. takes place in that town. That was a lot cooler than I remember it being. Yeah, you know, I, I, I will say overall the movie is, is more interesting than I remember it being. And I, I don't know why it, it is that these – this is the second film in a row between this and Iron Man two that I've, rem- that I've looked back on, uh, you know, before rewatching it as something that was boring and, and not interesting, but watching it now, I can, I can see how it was, how fun it can be at times. I think that the, the humor doesn't always, uh, land. And I think that, that there's a little too much self seriousness in it. Like the, the, the Odin sleep is a ridiculous concept. <laughs> that just sort of happens in the middle of the movie. Um, but uh, I think that for the most part, the, the Chris Hemsworth stuff on earth is, is pretty fun. Um, I think it really gets bogged down even more so than Iron Man two in being a part of this bigger universe that they're building. Uh, because if you yeah. remember Iron Man two ends with uh, the uh, Coulson discovering or going to the, the crater where Mjolnir, the Thor's hammer has landed on earth and then they set up this whole sort of shield perimeter around it and 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 Coulson and Shield are very very involved in this movie. Yeah, uh I I was going to mention that but go ahead and then I'll ask you a question about that. No, I'm just just saying it's it's you got to be on board with this being kind of episodic at this point, which I don't know you know looking back is fine, but I think maybe at the time it was too much. Yeah. Um it's what did you? Like, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. What did you think about that? Because I think that is a big sequence in the movie, um, where uh, where they get to where his hammer is. That's sort of um, quarantined, and then like that's your first appearance of Hawkeye in that scene <laughs> with Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye. What, what did you think about that sequence? Because that's the that's like some super heavily involved Coulson Hawkeye Avengers pre world building stuff, and I wondered. I was wondering if you thought that that scene was too much or if it was kind of like a, cause that's a, that's a good, interesting, I think fight scene at, at times. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it happens like in like mud, like mud or rain or. Yeah. You know. I, I like the way it looks and I like the, um, I like that, that Hemsworth's Thor just gets to kick ass all the way through it. Mm-hmm. I think the Hawkeye part of it is just sort of a lame addition. Um, you know, it's, I, look, I don't think they've ever done Hawkeye right, and I don't think it's a good character. Um, I feel like this introduction is just a – it's a big wink, and I think that's it. I don't think he has any reason to be there. I don't think that it adds anything to the character. I think it could have been just nameless goons he was beating up to get in, and then I, he, he doesn't do anything. He sits there and, and talks about taking a shot and then doesn't, and then basically has earned the res- – has earned uh, – uh, Thor has earned his respect by the end of it, but they don't even interact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, the shield thing, you got to be on board with. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Like I said, probably when it first was released, I was not um, because it was, you know, you didn't know where this was, was all going because it was very, very dependent on being shield related. And, you know, Coulson, uh, Coulson acts as the glue between this and Iron Man 2. Uh, ba- you know, basically the, the film uh, has the this is the exact sequence that was the stinger in Iron Man 2 is is part of this film which is something I don't believe they've ever done 
sense is have the the sequence you know be so t- uh, the stinger be so tightly in, uh, intertwined with the film before it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's fine. It's I don't think it's necessary. Um, you know, you could take that all out without having without affecting the plot line of Thor at all. Right. You no, know, it just it just was a, a thing that sat there and said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna need you later." You know, in a year we got this Avengers movie coming out. Uh, because it, it doesn't it doesn't really it doesn't really change anything one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, it's 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 fine. You know, again in 2011 it was probably like, "God damn it, they're spending a lot of time on this shit." <laughs> I don't know where it's going. I need eyes up high with a gun. of electromagnetic surge coming off that thing. Systems are barely coping. Barton, talk to me. You want me to slow him down, sir? Or are you sending in more guys for him to beat up? I'll let you know. So as we were just talking about, there's there's a lot of setup in this film for the Avengers, which would come out the next year in 2012. How do you think, looking back at it now, and looking back at its place in in this MCU, how do you think the film holds up? You know, I think that it uh, it's really hard to escape the table setting of it all. Um, we'll get to this next episode when we talk about Captain America First Avenger, but th- Captain America was the first one that felt to me, and this is, I have actually not rewatched it yet, so I can't say if this holds up, it was the first one to me that felt like a standalone movie. Um, like, mm-hmm. yes, it was part of, um, you know, building Captain America as a huge character within the within the um, you know within the MCU, but it was it was a period piece. You know, it was it was a prequel. So everything that happened in there um, was not necessarily building events that were going to happen in the Avengers. <clears throat> Whereas Thor firmly is a way to connect other worlds with earth which yeah. will later pay off in avengers you know with loki sending <clears throat> excuse me uh with loki sending um uh, the uh what what i forget the name of the chitaris um you know oh, through yeah. um you know through that portal that they make um and uh and and it's basically creating earth uh, a uh, a bridge between earth and other worlds and i think that's ultimately when you scale everything back and look at what's the main picture here. Thor is the connective tissue between earth and other worlds. Now, how does it hold? Uh, how does it? Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. Was that the question? How does it hold up? <laughs> well, well, sorry. Looking back at uh, looking back at it, it, it's place in the MCU. How does it hold up? Yeah. The, and, I, and I think that, that, that when, when all is said and done, and I think when we look back at the MCU as a whole, I think we're going to see this as one of the lesser works um, but I also think that it has jumped from low tier MCU to maybe mid tier MCU in terms of quality because it is a better movie than I remember it. Um, mm-hmm. I still don't think that that it 
this is a great version of Thor. Um, I don't, I, you know, especially when we see Thor in Endgame when he's sort sort of vulnerable. Um, cocky Thor, I think, really doesn't is not as interesting of a character to me, you know. Um, or like, or even like cocky, strong Thor versus you know funny Thor in Ragnarok, or like you know, uh, that, you know I, I just feel like they had not yet unlocked Chris Hemsworth beyond just being like a big buff dude, and I yeah. think that that is um, making for maybe the one of the least interesting characters um, of the Avengers. Um, though again, when you've got Hawkeye there, uh, it's, it's, you know, there's people who are beating him for that contest, but you know, has, as I see it, as I see it as a, as a, as a table setter that is above average. Yeah. You know, I see, um, you know, there, there's a lot more humor here. Like I mentioned earlier for Hemsworth than I remembered. Um, the Loki thing, I think it, it sets up not well. Um, and then I don't know if you remember this, that that uh, Marvel has officially retconned that Loki was under the influence of the Mind Stone in Avengers. Mm-hmm. So he's not really a bad guy in Avengers, mm-hmm. which I don't know how I feel about that, um, because he, he's pretty clearly like a, you know, he's the trickster god is what his his whole, you know, motif is. But that that they've kind of neutered him and turned him into a, a tragic hero is I don't think fits with this ver- the version of the character that's here. And uh, again, I don't think that, like you mentioned, they haven't really used Hemsworth. They didn't really know how to use Hemsworth at this point, which of course is his first film, but even in uh, Avengers and uh, Thor, the dark world and, and uh, age of Ultron, I don't think that they use him to his fullest potential. I don't, again, I don't think the, the humor that he's able to, to imbue the character with is on display until Ragnarok. And I think that that just is when it all clicked and made Thor probably one of the most interesting characters at that point, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, and he's of the big three, him and, and Ev- Chris Evans and, and Robert Downey Jr. He's the one still going to play the character now. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably has 100% to do with how the character has evolved into this, you know, humorous yet, vulnerable yet strong character and uh i think looking back at it here you can see some of the elements of that and i don't think it's a bad film um you know at all and i think it like you mentioned i think it's kind of moved to mid-tier for me um you can definitely see that that they weren't quite sure what to do yet and i think it's um you know it doesn't completely uh you know it's not an incredible hulk where they just sort of forget about it uh, and it does, it's not worth, it doesn't need to be forgotten about, but it is interesting to see where, how it's come so far from, from this point. Cause I think that they, you know, there was a, a lot of the Asgard stuff is, is a little self-serious. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. um, you know, uh, Idris Elba, I think is wasted in this role as, uh, as, um, um, what's his name? Shit. Um, I keep forgetting his Heimdall, who the keeper of the Bifrost. I think he never really got to be an interesting character. Um, the Warriors three uh, and Sif, uh, they're kind of nothing. Um, you know, they end up. I think they end up all end up dying in the Dark World. I don't remember how they they all bit it, but I, I isn't Sif still alive? I know she was alive after the Dark World because she played. Uh, she was in. Um, she was in like an episode of uh, 
what's that show? Uh, Agents of Shield, like where they're cleaning up. But I don't know. I don't. I don't remember. That's how. That's how. Like not. Um, <laughs> that's how not uh, memorable they are. Is that they? <laughs> like I don't know if they're dead or not. Because um, I remember Zach. Uh, uh, Zachary Levi was was in the second film, and his character. Oh died. yeah, that's right. Anyway, um, yeah, I think it. I think it holds up okay. I think it's you know, it's again you've got Captain America coming up, which is uh, so much better of a movie than than this film, and just so much more interesting because, like you said, it is a standalone until basically the very end, and it, it it's got that that cool period piece, and you know, it's got an interesting cast, and th- this one I think is fine. I think there's some dumb stuff in it, like the Odin sleep doesn't like it just seems silly. Yeah. Name? He said it was Thor. T H O R. And your relationship to him? I've never met him before. Until she hit him with a car. I grazed him, but she tasered him. Yes, I did. Hi. Just taking a little blood. How dare you attack the son of Odin! I need some help! I need help. You are no match for the mighty! So we've already mentioned Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Tom Hiddleston as Loki, uh, both people that kind of grew into the parts that they're that they're playing still to this day. Loki in a TV series, Thor in in films. Uh, the rest of the cast, what did you think of them? I, I know there there's some heavy hitters in here, like we mentioned Natalie Portman and, and uh, Anthony Hopkins, but did you think that they worked in the film? Um, you know, I think that Anthony Hopkins is a double edged sword because I think that he he adds like gravitas towards, you know, the role and the MCU and, and sort of just like making it a, uh, you know, a, a somewhat serious thing just because he's a, he's a, you know, a world renowned actor. I think it also contributes to the self seriousness of everything. Um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, Anthony Hopkins is treating this like a Shakespearean play and, uh, and you know it's just it's just not it's just not that and so a lot of the like the family dynamics or the 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 stuff of um you know who gets to be king or whatever that just all f- contrib- contributes to like the self seriousness of it all that i don't know necessarily is a great thing though i think he he's fine in the movie um i think we mentioned um natalie portman a little bit um you know again with her it's a weird balance between her being, you know, a uh, a super smart female scientist and then her being, you know, weakened by Chris Hemsworth abs, you know. So it's it's, <laughs> it's just a weird I think they did her a little bit of a disservice um when it comes to that. Um and and like and like Kat Dennings is also in the movie who I think um is sort of like the the snarky commenting sidekick type thing yeah which I'm a call, little, uh, mm-hmm. she calls a hammer mew mew and yeah gets I, I i'm a little surprised that she didn't have more to do within the grand scheme of the mcu um but uh but yeah and then i, I think stellan skarsgård um i actually kind of like that the role in the movie that he plays 
where he's sort of uh, unsure but needs to be convinced, and then like I, I, I and I, and he obviously plays a part um, throughout the role of the MCU. But I, I like him as an actor. It's it's kind of a cardboard character, but I kind of well, uh, I think this movie needs it. He gets to kind of be uh, uh, like unhinged in later films. Like, is it the is it Avengers where he's running around naked at the beginning of it? Uh, because no. he's hypnotized. Which one? Which one does he end up like running around naked because he's uh, he's under the influence of the Mind Stone? I don't know because he's under the influence of the Mind Stone in Avengers, but I certainly don't remember him running around naked. Mm, maybe I'm making this. Maybe maybe I want to see uh, Stellan Skarsgård run around naked. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was cur- I was wondering about the the Cat Dennings thing because from what I can gather, um. And I don't think it's ever been officially said. Natalie Portman was not terribly pleased with how this all went, from what I understand, or from what at least it appears on the screen, because she's completely missing in uh, Thor Ragnarok and only briefly appears again in in footage from um, from the Dark World added into Avengers Endgame. And I think she voiced one line in there. But... Uh, now that she's coming back uh, in this Thor Love and Thunder, is that what it's called? Yeah. As a like a female Thor, I'm I'm curious if that brings back the the character like the other character like Cat Dennings with her because it you know it, it's not a terribly um, progressive part for a female you know of actress especially one who's who would later win an Oscar for uh, Black Swan and someone who's as high profile as Natalie Portman. To kind of be the fawning love interest, uh, which is something I don't think these movies have handled terribly well. Uh, you know, it's not until you know Iron Man three that that um, uh, Pepper Potts gets to actually do anything. Uh, I think we mentioned that in the first Iron Man film that she sort of mm-hmm. is running around in high heels and um, you know the damsel in distress. So I think that that um, you know this was probably the first sign of some sort of progressive uh, mindset um, that was lacking in these films, you know, that they were making these films for, for teenage boys and then they became huge hits and they realized they had to accommodate, you know, the female demographic that they've been ignoring for the last 30 years. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it's curious to me that how, how Natalie Portman, you know, she's not, um, you know, she's not a, a no one. You know, I mean, she's a very big star at this point, and how she ended mm-hmm. up in this role that is sort of thankless at the end of it. You know, she gets you know sent off with a kiss, and that's it. But you know, apparently that's changed with this new film. So, uh, let's see who else was in this film. Uh, Rene Russo has a small part as uh, Thor's mother, which I guess is not really that big of a deal. Uh, who else we have? Uh, we, we mentioned Idris Elba as Heimdall, who I don't think ever really, you know, came into his own in this series. No. Uh, who else is in this film? Is there any other, just uh, some other, just, you know, Ray Stevenson and is in it. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Colm Fiore who was in, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, just a bunch of like character actors along the way. Um, yeah. Oh, here's a. Do you want a bit of a just a little tidbit of trivia of who was offered the role but turned it down? Yeah, let's go for it. Uh, in October 2008, Daniel Craig was offered the role of Thor but turned it down because he was uh, committed to James Bond. Wow. 
Anybody else? Uh, no, but again, and, and, and perhaps we should do this research prior to, to recording. <laughs> but uh, I was just reading through, and, uh, and originally um, uh, David S. Goyer was in negotiations to direct and write, and then it got passed to Matthew Vaughn, who was attached until uh, 2008. And then Guillermo del Toro was in talks to direct the film, but turned it down to do The Hobbit. Which, um, all right, end up doing, yeah, (laughs) yeah, and then, uh, and then it went on to DJ Caruso, and then finally Kenneth Branagh entered to direct. So it passed through many hands in a very short amount of time. Um, but, but, again, think about a a Daniel Craig, uh, Thor directed by Guillermo del Toro, and that's a very different movie. That is a very, very different movie. So this, uh, again, was uh, another uh, year packed full of superhero films, 2011. Uh, you mentioned Matthew Vaughn, uh, who was uh, in in the mix to direct this film, uh, had sort of the X-Men reboot this year, directed by uh, Matthew Vaughn, uh, X-Men First Class, mm-hmm. which is probably um, probably the most interesting of the uh the x-men films in a while because it was like a uh a pretty stacked cast for a reboot of a superhero film a very very soft reboot of a superhero film franchise because they never really committed to to totally rebooting this thing but it had of course starred james mcavoy michael fassbender and jennifer lawrence like right at the cusp of her exploding into a huge movie star yeah yeah i don't remember uh if we've ever talked about first class, but did you like that film? You know, I thought it was okay. Um, I really love days of future past. The one Mm -hmm. that came after and first class was, was fine for me. And I think it did a good job at kind of revitalizing a franchise that, that kind of died a horrible death, uh, with that last, um, with that last X-Men movie. Um, X, what was it? X three, the last, the last stand. stand. Um, and uh, and I, I thought it was fine, but I also was not the big. I, I really turned on that franchise with with uh, Days of Future Past more so than this one. Yeah. Okay. So another uh, another high profile film that's not based on a huge comic book, but it was uh, directed by John Favreau, who of course did the first two Iron Man films, Cowboys and Aliens. Mm, yes. Starring Daniel Craig, Harrison Ford, and Olivia Wilde. This movie um, was a major major disappointment to me. Yeah, it was really bad. Um, um, and, and, go ahead. <laughs> and, and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna shit on your guy. <laughs> Written by Damon Lindelof, 
I I don't know if he wrote the he wrote he was the sole writer of it, but it had that fucking like David Lindelof mystery box shit that only gets unveiled like halfway through the film by Olivia Wilde's character for no reason was she holding back this information, yeah, except to make the film more interesting. And it's it's just a dreary, uh, just I, it was so lame. Mm-hmm. With despite having a pretty, uh, I mean, you get Daniel Craig and Harrison Ford together in a like a futuristic cowboy film. It seemed like hey, this might be interesting, but it was decidedly not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then we also had a few weeks later. I don't know if you missed this, but um, a few weeks later, after Thor came out, or about a month and a half or so, uh, Green Lantern also came out. Yeah, I was I was going to mention that one next. Green Lantern. Uh, of course, the notoriously bad film, which I have not seen. I have never. You've seen never Green saw Lantern. Green Lantern? No. It's really bad. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's really bad, and it's um, I mean, it's 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 laughably bad. Uh, you know, again, Ryan Reynolds is the best part of it. He's funny. He's um, you know, he he's he's clearly having fun, but the film is just so stupid. Uh, it's got, I think, uh, um, Peter Sarsgaard and, uh, Tim Robbins, I think are the villains, you know, and I've seen pieces like I have seen Peter Sarsgaard's <laughs> from this movie. Uh, he's, uh, what I can't, what's the character? I can't remember what his name is. Um, I feel like his head was getting really big. Yeah. It wasn't Brainiac, was it? No. Um, the interesting thing about this film was, uh, it's it was clearly meant to to mirror iron man in starting a uh, sort of cinematic universe because this is the first uh appearance of um uh, amanda waller who if you know if you don't know who amanda waller is and if you don't remember suicide squad suicide squad viola davis played um amanda waller but amanda waller is sort of the um um Nick Fury of DC, like the Justice League. Mm-hmm. And she appears in this film, um, you know, clearly, clearly as the 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 glue that's going to hold this together in whatever cinematic universe they're trying to build. Uh, Is that but, who Viola uh, Davis plays in Suicide Squad? Motherfucker, I just said that. Oh, I was yes. I was looking up something else. <laughs> oh yeah, no, she yeah. This is uh, Viola Davis's character in Suicide Squad is also Amanda Waller, but this is clearly set up to be some sort of um, connective tissue because there's no real reason for her to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, this is obviously before Man of Steel came out. Um, I don't remember when Man of Steel was released. I think 2013. But uh, this this Green Lantern is just notoriously notoriously stupid, and it uh, is of course ripped on in uh, the post credit scene in Deadpool two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it's still made see... some good money. I would I would like for you to see this movie someday, just to see how bad it is. When we do DCMC D read DCEU. Yeah. It's DCEU, right? DC Extended Universe? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> whatever, uh, man. Also, this was just... Uh, Green Lantern was beat in the box office by a little film called Super 8. Your favorite. Oh, <laughs> wow. 
Uh, yeah. So, and then uh, the last comic book movie we'll mention uh, is a uh, um, one that that was. It's very very weird to think about the casting and the creation of this. The Green Hornet. Oh. Did you ever see the Green Hornet? Is this the Seth Rogen one? The Seth Rogen one, directed by Michelle Gondry. Yeah, I did see that uh, with Jay Chow and Christoph Waltz. Also, um, it came out in J- and by the way, Cameron Diaz, mm-hmm. who has like no, like there was no like lead up to her being in this film, like no uh, promotion of it. It's um, yeah, it's such a weird like not interesting film that I don't remember much about it except for uh, there being yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) like for some reason there was a Mythbusters episode uh, in like uh, directly like referencing the it featured Seth Rogen and like they busted uh, myths from the film but I I mean yeah and this was supposed to be uh, Kevin Smith for a long time was a attached to this movie. A long time, yeah. It was supposed to be like Jason Lee as um, the main character, Britt Reed. Yeah, and then I and then later I know that Kevin Smith uh, wanted Jake Gyllenhaal um, to play um, to play the lead role as well. But yeah, this goes back to like Harvey Weinstein trying to get Kevin Smith to play to direct Green Hornet, which is a crazy sentence. Uh, <laughs> He was his. That was his benefactor for years. Was mm-hmm. uh, I think he bought him stuff like uh, or bought rights for to stuff for him specifically for him. Um, yeah. So it there. It also had uh, uh, David Harbor was in the film that I'm looking at. Edward James Olmos, Edward Furlong. You, you know what I remember too. Um, Michelle Gondry was like a a, re- a replacement because um, it was supposed to be uh, Stephen Chow who was going to direct and be in it with Seth Rogen, and Stephen Chow that 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 actually excited a lot of people because Stephen Chow is the guy who did um, Kung Fu Hustle, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Shaolin Soccer, like two really great movies um, that would have really fit in there. And I remember I, that was one of those I think creative differences things where he where he dropped out and then they got Michelle Gondry to replace him. And I think at that point I think a lot of people. At least within like the smaller movie community, lost a lot of interest because when it was Stephen Chow, um, it was sort of people were sort of curious as to how that would work because the tone would have been super comedic having a guy like that mixed in with Seth Rogen and yeah, yeah the uh, the um, the Michelle Gondry is is a weird choice because I don't think he I mean he did uh, Eternal Shun excuse me Eternal Shun I can't say it. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which was his obvious high point. And then he kind of did some some strange stuff after that. Be Kind Rewind, I think, was the biggest commercial thing, mm-hmm. um, which I wasn't a big fan of. And then this film, which just seemed like it had none of his real style that I could tell. Um, I, don't, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird, weird movie that doesn't really... like. For First of all, Green Hornet. Like, Who gives a shit about Green Hornet anymore as a character? Um, but it's, it was a weird thing to, to kind of make into a, 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 a release that they just dumped into January and it, it did make money. Like, and it wasn't a bad film. It's just a, a very strange thing to me. Like it, it feels like one of those things that they got too far along on and said, well, we, we have to keep making it even though no one gives a shit about Green mm-hmm. Hornet. Yeah. Yeah.
Dr. Selby. Is the other man behind all this? It's quite a labyrinth. I was thinking they're taking me down here to kill me. <laughs> I've been hearing about the New Mexico situation. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. I have a lot to work with. The Foster Theory, a gateway to another dimension. It's unprecedented. Isn't it? Legend tells us one thing, history another. But every now and then we find something that belongs to both. course like all marvel films this has a post credit scene this one i think is a little bit confusing as well i think this is probably the first one of that they that they threw out there that doesn't really have um like a clear answer at the end of it if that makes sense to you like because the first iron man film you have you have samuel L. jackson showing up and talking about the avengers in Incredible Hulk, you have Tony Stark showing up and, and talking about the Avengers. In Iron Man 2, you have you see Thor's hammer and you know what's happening. This film is a little more this one is a little more kind of esoteric, I think. Setting it's more table setting. And I don't know that it really again, it's it involves Loki, and I don't know that it I don't really feel like it makes sense. Well, I I wonder if maybe it's so I think it's one of those things because because this was, you know, as you move through stingers throughout the MCU, it slowly started to form, uh, excuse me, um, transition from, you know, like set up for the next movie to Easter eggs for comic book fans, I think. And Mm -hmm. so what I wonder if maybe this was like the first appearance of, you know, the, so I I was just looking it up, and I guess before it was called the Tesseract, it was called the Cosmic Cube in the comic books. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe this was the first time that they were throwing an Easter egg that's that's going to be like, hey, we're working towards like an Infinity Stone here. Because this is the first real appearance of an Infinity Stone, isn't it? Well, I mean, that's the thing that's in Loki's staff, right? Eventually. No, no, no. no. I mean, well, I'm sorry. Avengers. Mean, but no, wait. Um the not in the stinger the first the the appearance is in the film itself okay oh yeah yeah you're right yes you're right um so so i think maybe it was it was setting up like you know thanos is maybe a potential um a potential character moving forward for comic book nerds you know Mm -hmm. uh but 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 i don't know you know it's because because i mean the tesseract obviously plays a huge role and it's the opening sequence of the avengers so it ties in in that aspect but um but yeah it's it's not directly setting something up that that makes a lot of sense uh as it as it pertains to the next movie or introducing a new character or um teasing a sequel or something like that 
Yeah, and this is the one that that confuses me most about what the hell Loki was doing the whole film. Because, right. Because you know, previous to that, he he appears to commit suicide by letting go of of um of uh, Odin's hand and falling into wherever. Now is that O D I N S H A N D? One word like Odin's. Yeah, the the Odin's hand. He falls. He he he, he loses the Odin's grip and falls <laughs> from the Odin's hand. <laughs> it's it's yeah. It's so weird and uh, yeah. I, anyway, but it, it's the first time that it really kind of confused me as to just what the hell Loki was doing, and I don't think it it necessarily does the character. You know, it, there's been a lot of fake outs with Loki. Let's just put it that way. Going forward from this film to the Dark World to even Infinity War, you know, you have Loki make a sacrifice at the beginning of Infinity War and no one buys it, you know? Right, right. And I don't, and I don't think that that necessarily does the character any favors because I, I really like Tom Hiddleston as the character. And I think one of the best, um, the best moments he has is when, is it... Uh, Shit, when is uh, the mother, when is Rene Russo killed? Is that in the Dark World? Uh, Yes, I believe so. And he, so. like, lets down his illusion and he's all sad and disheveled from it. I think that's one of the greatest, best character moments the guy, the character has. But, you know, making him uh, sort of a cop-out, every death he has a cop-out is, um, it gets a little old, I think. Yeah, and and I think it's it, it's interesting to see, in the thing, the thought that I had when I was watching it was that, Loki became such a popular character as a villain that, you know, not only is he beloved by fans, but he's getting his own spinoff show on Disney+. Plus. Like, this is a major character within the MCU and one of the most well-liked characters, and there's no evidence of that anywhere in Thor, in the first Thor movie. There's no, like, I it's, 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 it's difficult to envision and see how he became such a big character just looking at this movie in a vacuum because it does not set up a character I think that would have resonated with anyone and I think that comes in Avengers. Yeah, you know, he's he's got a very very different role and a very well-written role I think in Avengers. But that, you know, that they've sort of seen that this character is popular and you know, it's it turns into this sort of anti-hero or he turns into this sort of anti-hero eventually. I, I, you know, that again, that you're, you're right. It's not present anywhere in this film. He's just a kind of a straight-up villain. Why have you done this? To prove to Father that I am a worthy son. When he wakes, I will have saved his life. I will have destroyed that race of monsters, and I will be true heir to the throne. You can't kill an entire race. Why not? What is this newfound love for the Frost Giants? You could have killed them all with your bare hands. That changed. So have I. Now fight me. I never wanted the throne! I only ever wanted to be your equal. I will not fight you, brother! I'm not your brother. I never was. Loki, this is madness. Is it madness? Is it? Is it? Come on, what happened to you on Earth that turned you so soft? Don't tell me it was that woman. Oh, it was. Well, maybe when we're finished here, 
I'll pay her a visit myself. This is the fourth film in the series. Uh, we're moving on next time to the fifth film, uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. Again, as we mentioned before, probably the, the one of the best standalone films they've produced since Iron Man. Uh, one of the best films they produced to, to be a standalone, I think. Yeah, you know what? I'm interested to see how this holds up. I'm a tad bit worried because in my mind, um, this is this was a like a really good movie. <laughs> I remember really yeah, enjoying yeah. the first Captain America movie and thinking like, you know, after after Iron Man being like, okay, so maybe this, you know, Iron Man wasn't a fluke. Maybe uh, maybe they are capable of making good movies. And again, you know, Captain America has always been such an interesting character because of like the clean cut. And I think the arc of Captain America was great, where he eventually kind of, uh, you know, was questioning, you know, all of that stuff and what the world had become. And I think it's a good arc for him. So I'm interested to see how it holds up with Chris Evans being like soldier Steve Rogers and um, and like the goody two shoes nature of it all um, and, and seeing I, I, how that holds up. I still think Captain America has been by far the best character oh, sure. that they've that they've produced. I think it's been the most consistent um, again, you, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark kind of vacillates between films as to being a, a guy that's through with it all and a guy that wants to protect the world and all that shit. But um, I think from the beginning, Captain America was was and remained the best single characterization they had. Uh, and again, again, this film has Tommy Lee Jones in it that I had forgotten about. Um, directed by Joe Dante, who I'm surprised didn't do more. Joe Johnston. Joe Johnston. Oh, I get him confused with Joe Dante. Joe Dante did the Gremlins. Joe Johnston is the uh, special effects guy. Yeah. Yeah, looking... I am. Um, yeah, and I'm looking forward to that. And, and I even remember Red Skull being a pretty decent villain too. Um, and I think that Marvel has forever struggled with villain issues. Um, and so, yeah, you you get a lot of interesting. Uh, elements of this and stuff that eventually kind of paid off as well with the Peggy stuff. Um, so I'm I'm really interested to take a look at that movie and um, and uh, and see how it holds up. I'm a little, I'm, like I said, I'm a little concerned because I want it I want it to still be good, but uh, time will tell. Yeah. All right. If you want to reach us, you can find us on Twitter at ReMCU Podcast. We're also on Instagram as ReMCU Podcast. Uh, if you want to listen to our other show, we uh, Cody and I host the Cinesnob podcast. That is our uh, weekly-ish uh, movie review show. Uh, you can find us on Cinesnob.net. If you want to email us there, you can email us at podcast at Cinesnob.net. Uh, again, Captain America, First Avenger next. Hopefully we won't take a six-month break <laughs> uh, before that. Uh, anything you would like to add about Thor before we head out, Cody? No, not about Thor, but if you uh if you like this show or either of uh or the Cinestop podcast, definitely leave us a uh Apple Pod it's not really iTunes anymore, right? So an no, Apple, it's podcast Apple Podcast review. Um and uh and let us know what you think. And uh and yeah, I, I regarding Thor, I just uh I, I'm interested to you know, it, it, it appears to be better than we remember it, but I have a feeling that when we watch like Thor Ragnarok, we're gonna be like, Oh yeah, so this is Thor. This is <laughs> and that was some weird weird movie. Yeah. All right. I'm Jerry Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Mm-hmm.